We're going to be in John chapter 4 tonight, verses 46 through 54. If it feels like we've been in John chapter 4 for a little while, it's because we have. Uh, But now, tonight, we've reached the end. Uh, We are coming to a, a, a passage of scripture where we see another one of what John calls Jesus's signs. What's interesting is it's in Cana in Galilee again, and the last time I preached, Jesus was in Cana in Galilee, so I like how that kind of works out. Um, at this point in John's gospel, Jesus has, he's returned home. He's been on some trips. He went to Capernaum. He went to Jerusalem. He went to Samaria, and he's done a number of uh, miraculous things and, and talked to a, a wide variety of people, and we've seen those conversations. The last time he was in Cana was for a wedding. But this time he meets a a much more somber event, as we'll see. I mean, that's how life goes, isn't it? I mean, it's just filled with a spectrum of things. We have weddings and we have funerals. We have joys and we have sorrows. And Jesus' presence makes a difference in both. He's the one you want at the party, and he's the one that you need in your desperation. So let's read our passage now, John chapter 4, verses 46 through 54. So he came again to Cana in Galilee, where he had made the water wine. And at Capernaum, there was an official whose son was ill. When this man heard that Jesus had come from Judea to Galilee, he went to him and asked him to come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. So Jesus said to him, unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. The official said to him, sir, come down before my child dies. Jesus said to him, go, your son will live. The man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and went on his way. As he was going down, his servants met him and told him that his son was recovering. So he asked them the hour when he began to get better, and they said to him, Yesterday at the seventh hour, the fever left him. The father knew that was the hour when Jesus had said to him, Your son will live. And he himself believed, and all his household. This was now the second sign that Jesus did when he had come from Judea to Galilee. This is God's word. Whenever we're in John's gospel, I think it's helpful to remember what John tells us at the end of his gospel about why he wrote the book. He says this in John chapter 20, verses 30 and 31. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. John's whole purpose of writing the book was so that we would have faith in Jesus. And our passage today is all about faith. That's what the whole point is. How does faith grow? That's what John wants to show us. That's kind of the question we have before us today. And through the story of this official, God shows us that there's there's a a progression of faith. There's a journey of faith. And that journey kind of plays itself out in in three stages. First, true faith in Jesus brings us to him. 
it's reasonable. Secondly, true faith in Jesus takes him at his word. It's trusting. And thirdly, true faith in Jesus settles our heart in him. It's transforming. And I just want to look at each one of those stages tonight. So let's look at the first one. True faith in Jesus brings us to him. The, my, this first point, I'll just say kind of front, up front, and Dustin does this sometimes, so it's the longest one. But if we don't get this right, we got a problem. <laughs> we have to get this right. We will miss so much of what's going on here if we don't see the, the beginnings of faith in this man. And that's how it starts for all of us, really, isn't it? I mean, we have to kind of understand what, what are we coming to when we come to Jesus? When we come to Jesus, we all have to start unbelieving some things before we can start believing in Jesus. So we pick up the story in Cana and Galilee, where Jesus made the water wine. And there's a man whom John calls an official from Capernaum, whose son was ill. Now, some of your translations may refer to him as a, a royal official or a nobleman. During this time, Herod was the kind of the king of Galilee. And so this man was likely someone in Herod's court. That's why he's called a, a royal official. He's, he's a centurion, as it were. Not the same centurion we see in, in Matthew and Luke's gospel, but similar in, in status. He was a man of some, some significant status, most likely. But as he learned, and as so many of us have learned, a good status doesn't, doesn't prevent suffering in this life, does it? We don't really know a whole lot about him. I mean, he doesn't appear in any other story. He just appears here in John chapter 4, a few verses, and then he's, he's, he's kind of gone. But when we look at him, we can determine a couple of things, I think. I mean, first of all, he seems to be a good father. Capernaum was about 20 miles away from Cana, so he's come at least some significant distance. That's nothing to us, but he didn't have a car. 20 miles wasn't easy to, to go. But there's no indication that he seemed like it was too far to go for his son. I mean, would it be for you? He also seemed to be a decent man, I think. We see later in the story when he goes home, his servants kind of run to him and meet him on the way to tell him how his son's doing. I think that might be because he must have been good to them. He's probably a pretty decent guy. But just as a good socio, socio, socioeconomic status doesn't, you know, stave off suffering, neither does a good moral status. At some point, it will all come to us all. And we'll have to find, what do we do? What do we do in those moments? This man was in dire straits. His son was dying and he had no more answers. And in the midst of his sorrow and his anxiety over his son, he heard about Jesus and he came to him for help. Now, why did he come to Jesus? Well, verse 46 refers to Jesus' miracle of turning water into wine. And we also know from verse 45, which we didn't read tonight, but it tells us there that, that Jesus had done other miracles in Jerusalem. Likely, the word has gotten out at this point. People kind of know who Jesus is. He's a well-known miracle worker. And so John tells us in verse 47, when this man heard those things about Jesus, that Jesus had come from Judea to Galilee, he went to him and he asked him to come down and heal his son for he's at the point of death. And so we see here that this, 
first stage, this first leg of the journey of faith in this man. The official heard and he came. Isn't that how faith starts? We hear something about Jesus. We hear about what he's done. We even see it in the lives of others. And we sense that maybe there's something that this guy has that I need. So we come. It's a, it's a reasonable act. It's a considered step. It's, it's thinking things through. And what we see in this official is he, his faith isn't strong yet, but it's something. It's the first step. He heard that Jesus was able to do things that no one else could do. And he started thinking, you know, maybe Jesus could do something for me. Maybe Jesus could help my son. It was a desperation that brought him to Jesus. And how many of us came in a similar way? At the end of our rope, with tears in our eyes, with no other answers. This official had no other answers. I mean, the doctors at this point couldn't do anything else. Nothing was working. So he went to someone whom he knew had done something amazing in the past. He had already worked a miracle. He heard what Jesus had done. So he came to see what he could do for him. That's how faith starts. It starts so simply, doesn't it? It starts with just hearing truth and, and letting that truth inside you. Taking a step forward. John tells us he heard and went to Jesus, and then what? Well, he asked him to come down and heal his son. And Jesus' response in verse 48 is really interesting. Look at it. It's not what I would expect. It's probably not what this man expected. Jesus said to him, unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. Hmm. It doesn't seem very sympathetic, does it? it, it it's a weird response, isn't it? But you know, Jesus has had a lot of strange responses to people. We've seen them so far in John's gospel. I mean, think of how he responded to his mother at the, at the wedding in Cana. She comes and says, they're out of wine. And Jesus says, well, what's that have to do with me? It's not my time to die. <laughs> what? Then when Nicodemus comes to Jesus, he says, you need to be born again. No one had talked like that before. <laughs> Then he says things like, well, the, the spirit just, it goes wherever it will. It's like the wind. What? Nicodemus just kind of wanted to know who Jesus was. He had some questions. Then at the well in Samaria with the woman we've seen over the past couple of weeks. He shows up. She comes. He says, I'm thirsty. So she's going to offer him some water. He says, I've got water you don't even know about. Living water. And if you knew I had that, you'd ask me for it. What? What is he doing? It's odd, isn't it? Jesus is responding in, in, in strange ways. And in each of these conversations, we have to really think, don't we, about what Jesus is doing. What is he saying? Why is he saying it? Christianity is a thinking faith. Jesus engages our minds in order to inflame our hearts. You know, he could have done it any other way. We could take a pill and just become a Christian. But he, he chooses this way. He engages with us through his word. 
And when we think through these conversations that he's had with these people, we, we start to see what Jesus is doing. He's telling a much bigger story than what they can even imagine. He's revealing who he is. He's manifesting to them the glory of God. He responds that way to get them and to get us thinking about who Jesus really is. I mean, what was his mother doing at the wedding? She was forcing him out before he was ready to reveal himself. What was Nicodemus doing? He was misunderstanding Jesus' teaching. He was looking for salvation through some works-based righteousness. What was the woman at the well doing? Why was she there in the middle of the day? Because she was hiding from her past. What was this official doing? He was there to ask Jesus for a miracle because he had a dying son. And he just thought, I think he can do it. But in each case, Jesus is confronting something much deeper in them. Something much deeper than, than their surface level problem. As real as that problem is. He's cutting to the heart. He's getting to the core issue. When you come to Jesus, you will get much more than surface level help. You will get the deepest possible help. Now to get that help, we need to understand Jesus' response to this official. There's an interesting grammatical thing going on in the Greek that we can't see in our English translations. We just see it say, unless you believe, or unless you see signs and wonders, you will never believe. But the you in verse 48 is a plural you. He's not just talking to this official. He's talking to everyone there. Everyone around. Everyone, in fact, in Galilee, which was his hometown. Why is he saying this to everyone? Because as we, we see in verse 44, which again, we didn't read tonight, but Jesus says a prophet has no honor in his hometown. But then in verse 44, we see, or verse 45, we see that they did, in fact, welcome him home. So there's, he, he's not welcome, but he's welcome. I, I, what's going on? Well, they welcomed Jesus home for what he could do. But they didn't welcome him home for who he was, for what he would say. And there's a big difference. He was a prophet, and the hometown crowd never likes the hometown prophet. It's got to be hard. I mean, you grew up with them. You watched them grow up. So we shouldn't be too harsh on them. But Jesus is here, and he's able to do more than they can even imagine, more than they even know to ask for. And Jesus is saying, you know, my, my signs aren't just neat little things to talk about. This isn't just something for your Twitter feed. These are revelations of God's glory. And the hometown just didn't accept those words. And so Jesus isn't really singling this guy out. He's, he's lumping him in with everyone else in town. You know, he's saying, you people, you people, you don't care about me for me. You only care about what I can do. And you're missing the whole point because of that. It's not an unfounded rebuke for this man. 
I mean, if you look at how he approached Jesus, he, 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 he approached Jesus like he was an important person, like the official himself was an important person, because he was. He's in the royal court, as it were. There really isn't much humility in him yet. I mean, look at the way he, he approaches Jesus, what he says to Jesus. He, he has a, a demand that sounds like a question. Come down before my child dies. He doesn't even think about what Jesus might have going on that day. At this point, he sees Jesus only for what he can do for him. He doesn't yet see Jesus for who he is. And he expected Jesus to just drop whatever he was doing and come with him. He didn't even consider that Jesus might do something else. So Jesus is here rebuking his thinking, but not his only. Everyone who is within earshot, everyone who reads it. I mean, do you see? He's getting deep here. He didn't have to say this. This official who had a real, a desperate need came to him because he heard about the miracles Jesus could do. And in that way, he's like everyone else. But was he really like everyone else? That's what Jesus wants him to think about. Are you just another one of them? Was he there just for a miracle? Or was he there for something else? Maybe something he didn't even know about yet. As his life is falling apart, can Jesus do more than just ease his pain? Jesus is starting to redefine some things for this man. He, he's getting him thinking deeper than he is at the moment. He's distracted by a situation, which makes sense. I mean, who wouldn't be distracted by that situation? There's nothing wrong with that at all. But a situation, as dire as it is, is not, in fact, his greatest need. It's an amazing thing to say, but it's true. Was he there for signs and wonders, or was he there for something else? Is there even something else? Is there something more to Jesus than miracles? than for what he can do? I mean, maybe the guy didn't even have that category built out in his mind yet. He saw Jesus as another doctor. Faith has brought him to Jesus, and now what Jesus is starting to do is bring him all the way in. He's about to heal much more than his son's fever. Now, this is, this is amazing to me. It's amazing to me because what would you do? It, put yourself in Jesus' shoes for a second if, if we're able to do that. In some, someone's coming to you for help. The tears, panic. I mean, when people come to us like that, we respond to them out of their anxiety, don't we? Jesus doesn't do that. Jesus is not caught up in our circumstances. He stands above them. And he can use them to give us living water that we don't even know about yet. <laughs> That's amazing to me. In every situation that we find ourselves in, Jesus works in ways that we might not expect to give us a life that we most want, but don't even know that's possible. 
aren't you glad that we don't have a God who, who just waits for us to realize that what we, what we need and, and work our way to it and claw and scratch and hope we find it, but he comes. He graciously gives it to us even when we're too hard-headed or too anxious or too focused on something else to even know what we really need. You know, maybe you're coming to Jesus for a better life in some way, and, and that may not be wrong at all. But Jesus wants you to think that through. We all want relief, but do we even know what relief is possible when we're coming to him? Are we, as C.S. Lewis once said, playing with mud pies in the slum when Jesus is offering us a holiday at sea? What if there is an even greater miracle Jesus can do for us? Maybe we don't have a sick son that needs healing, but we all have some need that only Jesus can meet. And I hope you're asking him to help. Because he wants you to. But I do think it's important how we ask. Are you even asking? Or like this official, have you come with a demand that sounds like a question? You know, when we do that, when we come to Jesus and say, I need you to do this, what we're actually doing in our own minds and hearts is we are limiting Jesus. We are saying, you can do this, but no more, because this is what I really need. And that is not how Jesus works. That's not how he responds to us. That's not how he engages with us. What limits are you putting on Jesus? This man wanted Jesus to come down to his house, I guess, because he thought Jesus needed to be there in order to heal his son. That's not a stupid idea. (laughs) It's not. But Jesus had another way to heal. And this official wasn't even aware that that was a category. (laughs) Are you like that? Man, I am sometimes. Will you allow Jesus to deal with you on his terms? Will you trust him to handle things his way? We see that this official, he, he doesn't yet get it, but he will. He has the reasonableness of faith to come to Jesus, and that's the first step. But he hasn't yet learned to trust him. He still thinks he needs to see to believe. But Jesus will teach him how to believe without sight next. He'll teach him to take him at his word, to trust him, which is the next step of faith's progression. True faith in Jesus takes him at his word. It's it's trusting. Look at verse 50. Jesus said to him, Go, your son will live. The man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and went on his way. So, (sighs) Jesus spoke, and the man went. Jesus did not do what the man requested. (laughs) 
He asked him to come down to his house. But Jesus said, said to him, no, I don't need to go. I said your son will live, and he will live. So you can go, but I'll stay. And the man did the most amazing thing. He believed him. He trusted him. He turned and he went on his way. This is the end of the conversation. He didn't press Jesus again to come with him. Why? Because at that moment, he actually really fully trusted in Jesus' word. He had confidence that his son would live because Jesus said he would live. His faith was beginning to blossom. Now, how do we know the man thought this? I mean, maybe he just thought to himself, gosh, you know, I, Jesus seems a little upset that I was there. I asked him twice, and I don't know that I want to ask him again. I guess I'll just kind of leave it at that. I'll, I'll just, I'll see how this shakes out. You know, maybe he was just a bit shy. Maybe he wasn't a type A personality. Is that it? Is that, is that who this guy was? I don't, I don't think so. I mean, after all, this man had walked 20 miles for help. He was at his wit's end. Nothing else had worked for his dying son. This was his last resort. If your son was dying, would you leave just because someone seemed a little bit put off that you were there? And you knew he could do something? Wouldn't you press? Wouldn't you keep pressing? So why didn't this man? Because he trusted Jesus. Because he believed him. And we don't have to assume that's the reason. John tells us he does. Look again at verse 50. The man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him. He had everything he needed. So he could go. Jesus gave this man a much bigger gift than he ever expected. I mean, if Jesus came down to his house with that man, he would have believed because he saw. That's what Jesus told him for, to begin with anyways, isn't it? Remember what Jesus told Thomas after his resurrection. Thomas comes to him, wants to touch him. And Jesus lets him. But what does he say? He says, blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. This official was one of those. He was one of those blessed people. He didn't see and yet he believed. He knew the miracle was done even though his eyes had not yet laid hold of it. He had in his heart the kind of trust that faith gives. He took Jesus at his word. And it was enough for him. Is it enough for you? Do you trust Jesus like this official? Think about it. Your faith starts with reasonableness. It starts by thinking things through. You come to Jesus because you see the logic of it. You've heard what he can do. You heard who he is. And so you've come. But coming alone isn't enough. Being in the room isn't enough. Your faith has to move from 
this place of, I'm going to try this out, to this place of deep trust. You have to come. That's the first step. But do you trust? Do you trust him? Do you place your faith in the person of Christ? Not even in the work of Christ, but in his person. Do you trust him? Him. You know, there is a difference, isn't there, between trusting what someone can do and trusting them? Do you trust him? By the way, that's the key to faith. It's trusting him. You know, there's... There's nothing in this story about how strong the man's faith is. Did you notice that? It's not about that. Jesus tells, John tells us nothing about the strength of this official's faith. It's all about where his faith ends up, isn't it? Who he puts his faith in, that's the key. It's the object of your faith and not the strength of your faith. Jesus can do amazing things. He can perform miracles. But it is Jesus himself who matters most. The greatest miracle Jesus can do for you is who he is for you. Jesus is a miracle. It's miraculous that this God exists. And when you realize that, when, when your faith grows from this place of reasonableness to this place of trust, something else starts to happen in your heart. Something wonderfully unexpected, which is our third and final point here. True faith in Jesus settles our heart in him. It's transforming. And look at what happened to this official. Verse 50 says he went home, and verse 51 and following tell us more. As he went, his servants met him and told him his son was recovering. He asked when he started getting better, and and they said, yesterday at the seventh hour, the fever left him. Now, there's a a little bit of a debate about what the seventh hour is, but I think the best arguments place the seventh hour around 1 p.m. At 1 p.m. the day before, this is the following day when he's going home, at 1 p.m. the day before, Jesus said, your son will live. Why is that important? I mean, who cares what time it is? Now, the point is that he's healed, right? Isn't that, isn't that the thing? Well, I think it is important for two reasons. I think first, it confirms that this man's faith in Jesus' word. As soon as Jesus said his son would live, he started to live again. His servants telling him the time confirmed to him that he wasn't wrong in thinking Jesus actually did it. I mean, that is, it's amazing that Jesus can do that, isn't it? <laughs> Just say it. Jesus didn't have to go to his house. He didn't have to perform a little song and dance. He didn't even have to pray to God because he is God. His word is authoritative. And John's little detail here is not only historically accurate, because this is a real story that really happened, but it's theologically important. Jesus' word is effective. What he says is true. It does happen. And that has massive implications for us today. 
If Jesus said it, it's as good as done. So when you read your Bible and you say, huh, there's a promise from God, you know what that means? He will make it come to pass. He will. It's not just a plan. It's a certainty. In fact, because God stands outside of time, it's already done. Secondly, I think this little detail is important because it says something else about this man's faith. Think about it this way. If it was 1 p.m., when he got to Jesus, had that conversation, Jesus said, your son will be well. He's 20 miles away in Capernaum. He's come. He's probably come all morning just to get there that afternoon. It's 1 p.m. I don't know what time of year. Let's say it's 1 p.m. on March, what is today, 26? March 26. Daylight savings time's already come. 1 p.m. Think he had time to go home that day? I think he could have. He could have turned around and gone home that day. But he goes the next day. His son is dying. He's come to Jesus in just ball of anxiety, desperately needing help. Why didn't he rush home? Because Jesus said his son was fine. He could see him tomorrow. I, I think that's amazing. He came in such anxiety to get help, and then he met Jesus and believed Jesus' word. All that he needed was given to him in that moment. What was there left to do? His son shall live. He can go see him tomorrow, and so he does. He doesn't have to rush home that day. His anxiety was gone. His heart was calm. He was utterly transformed. He changed from an anxious father into a calm one. And I'm a father, and I don't know how to do that that quickly. Isn't that amazing? And you know, you're in the same position as this official. Right now, probably. In some way. I mean, maybe you don't have a dying son. I hope you don't. But you have anxiety. You feel the weight of worry. You have fears of tomorrow. You have the burden of responsibility. But Jesus has spoken. His gospel rings out even now. You can rest. You, all that you really are, are in him. Okay. Right now. And you'll be okay tomorrow. And you'll be okay the next day. And you'll be okay every day out into your future that is unknown and in some way scary. Do you know why? Because you are as secure as Christ is. That's how deeply he's put you in his heart. When faith goes from reasonableness to trust, it leads to peace. It just does. 
when you trust Jesus, when you really trust him, you're transformed from someone who's always worried to someone who knows the outcome already. That doesn't mean that we never worry. We do. I do. It just means we don't have to anymore. There's some freedom there, isn't there? Underneath the entirety of your life are the everlasting arms of Jesus. You can rest there. It's interesting to me that that we never actually hear what happened when the father saw his healed son. I would love to get the details on that. I'd love to want to meet this guy one day and say, what was that moment like? I mean, his son's dying. No one's been able to help. And then somehow, boom, 1 p.m., that fever's gone. I mean, we know he saw him, but we just don't get all the details. I think it's because that meeting isn't all that important. Not for the story that Jesus is telling us here. The important meeting was the one that he had with Jesus. It was the faith of the Father that John wants us to see, not the healing of the Son. The faith of the Father then leads to the faith of the household. Did you notice that when I read it? Verse 53, and he himself believed and all his household. His faith took root inward and it grew outward. That's amazing. The healing healed more than a fever. It healed an entire family, an entire household. And in that day, a household meant more than just the immediate family. These servants that came to meet him, they're included. We don't know the rest of the story, but you know, one day, the father might have faced his son's impending death again. We don't know, but he could have. He certainly faced his own death. But Jesus' sign that day in Cana foretold what was to come for this official and for his family. Death was no longer the problem that it once was because when he got home and when he shared the good news of Jesus, his son believed in Jesus along with all of his household. When someone in that house got sick again, And healing didn't come. I don't think they blamed Jesus for letting them die. I think they praised Jesus for letting them live. Forever. They didn't need to see another miracle. Because they had the miracle of the new birth within them. They had faith. They had Jesus. They had all they needed. And so the question for us tonight is, do we have Jesus like that? Do we trust him like this? Do we know his peace? If we don't, we we can. This is the reason this was written. Jesus is available right now to give us this. If you have received it, you know the joy it gives. Yes, we're imperfect. We still worry. But we can lay our heads down at night and sleep. 
Because we know the end of the story already. We can praise Jesus for that. Now in closing, I want us to see one final thing. I, we have to consider what, what is John saying to us in verse 54. This was now the second sign that Jesus did when he had come from Judea to Galilee. Jesus had done other miracles by this point. I mean, this is one of the reasons the official has come. But Jesus, or John highlights this as the second sign. Why? C.S. Lewis said that miracles are, are more than just powerful acts. He's right. They are demonstrations of who Jesus is. They're signs. Remember the sign that we saw on the wedding at, in Cana when Jesus turned the water into wine. What was he signifying in that event? Well, he was saying that he is the fulfillment of the Old Testament law and ritual. He took ceremonial water jars and filled them with the new wine of the gospel. He was saying something about who he is. That's how Jesus communicates to us. He does things, but it's, it's more than just look at the cool thing. Remember, his, maybe his most amazing miracle when he raises Lazarus from the dead. <laughs> well, Jesus was saying something about who he is, wasn't he? He was saying he is the, the resurrection and the life. Every time Jesus does a miracle like this, it's, it's for us to see more of him. They don't just impress us, they teach us. They not only show us God's power, they show us God's character. They help us learn to trust Him because miracles are never just cool tricks. They're revelations of God's glory, of His goodness, of His salvation, of His deepest heart. Remember what we said Jesus was thinking about at the wedding in Cana back in chapter 2. He's there at that wedding, signifying to everyone there, <laughs> the old has passed away, the new has come, the Messiah is here. Jesus was at that wedding thinking about his own wedding to come. The one where the wedding supper of the Lamb, his bride, the church, would be wed to him for eternity. What's he thinking about now here with this official? What does he say to us? Your son will live. You know, he could have said so many things. He could have said, your son will be healed of his fever. He could have said, your son's better now. He could have said all kinds of things that would be very specific to that particular need. But he says, your son will live. And since we know the Son came to faith in Jesus when the Father got home, Jesus meant more than just the recovery from the fever. He meant that the Son will live for eternity, far beyond this life. I mean, think about it. Why was Jesus even there at Cana in Galilee? Why did he come to this earth? Think back to John 1, verse 12. 
But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Jesus came to give a right to all who believe. The right to become a child of God. This world is full of dying sons. We ourselves who are in Christ now were once one of them. But then Jesus came so that the children would live. This royal official coming to Jesus is but a shadow of the true royal official who left his home to go get salvation for God's sons. Jesus understands this man deeper than this man even knows. He's on the same mission. There's a sickness unto death in the children of God. But Jesus has come to destroy it by letting himself be destroyed. He's come to kill sin by being killed. He's come to rise so that the sons and the daughters may live. Are you one of the children of God? If you are, no matter what happens to you in this life, you will live. And it will not be a sad life. If you're not one of the children of God yet, why not? What do you need from God? Why don't you come to Jesus and see what he can give? Why don't you come to him and see who he is for you? Jesus has spoken. We can take him at his word. We can trust him. And we can let him transform us. We can let him give us life. That's his offer. Will you take it? Let's pray. Father, we thank you <laughs> for all that you are. For the gift of Christ. For the gift of life. That you didn't just throw us away, but you redeemed us. Father, all our hope is in you. We love you. We rejoice in you. In Jesus' name we pray.